Great God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, because you and you only, God, are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. I try to never wear a red shirt if I know I have to go into Target that day. On the other hand, um, when my older brother was graduating from seminary, uh, that year it, they were giving out four tickets to each graduate. And so for my family, we, I, we had one living grandparent left, my mom's mom, and she was able to be there. So the four tickets were my mom, my dad, my little brother, and grandma. Because I was convinced I could get in without a ticket. I was also a student at the seminary there, and I had developed this ability to look and act like I know where I'm going. I still have this ability. In fact, I've made use of it when I've had a church member in ICU, and it wasn't visiting hours, but I thought they could use a pastoral care visit. And so I just act like I know where I'm going and don't get stopped. It only becomes a little catchy if somebody then asks me for a medical opinion on something as I'm going by. So sometimes I like the ability to just kind of blend in, not be noticed, not be seen. However, there's also this. When I was 11 or 12, we lived in suburban D.C., and at that time, Washington, D.C. did not have a local professional baseball team, so my dad had taken my brother and I to an Orioles game in Memorial Stadium. And I remember this because I was just old enough to be allowed in whatever inning it was that I wanted to go down and get some peanuts because you can't watch a baseball game without peanuts. I went down to get in line, and my dad let me go by myself. And so I went down to the concession stand. I stood in line like you do. I don't remember how long the line was. All I remember is the guy behind me seemed to know everybody. And when I got to the, to the counter and began to order, the guy behind me that knew everybody said, hey, what are you doing? You can't cut in front of me. And I just totally deflated. Because I'd just been minding my own business, standing in line, and this guy acted like a jerk, like I'd cut, like he hadn't seen me. And it wasn't until very recently that I began to realize maybe, maybe he actually didn't see me. Or maybe he just didn't want to wait in line anymore, and I was a kid that hadn't bothered to be noticed by anybody so he could take advantage of me. And I know that's a possibility because I'm old enough now to know that sometimes we just dump blame on kids blanketly. I mean, you see a mess somewhere in the church or on the street or in your neighborhood, and how many of us haven't at least once thought, ah, some kid's been out here doing that? So to everyone here that's younger than I am, I, I want to offer this blanket confession and, and apology to you because I have blamed you younger people for a lot of things just because you're an easy target. Uh, to be fair, while I'm blanket confessing and, ask, and offering apologies, to everybody who is older than I am, I have cast you all in stereotype as well and blamed you for things that I didn't know if you specifically or anybody from your generation has done. These things are most often driving, but not always. <laughs> to be fair, um, I could probably stereotype just about anybody in any category, any age group, any um, ethnic group. It does not matter. Any gender, I can stereotype you. And categorically, 
I'm sorry. Because when we stereotype people, we, we make them invisible. Invisible to us, at least. And nobody really wants to be invisible. I mean, there's times you do, but in general, you don't want to be invisible. Rachel and I took the first shift uh, of our, at our church's table at Six Stones Operation Back to School, school that was uh, sometime in August. And so um, we watched as literally thousands of people wound their way through this room past tables of churches and, and um, aid organizations and all kinds of businesses, some offering free stuff. We were offering, hey, come swim with us because we had rented the uh, aquatic, Euless Aquatic Family Park for the next night. Yeah, it might have been a little strategic. But anyway, so we're watching these thousands of people go by and it's really interesting because many of them had this like laser guided, where's the door I have to get to to get out of here? I'm not looking, I'm not talking to anybody. And sometimes as people went by, I kind of got that glazed over look too because it's like sometimes you feel like talking, sometimes you don't. And I'm not really sure now that I mention it if, if it was all the people going by who were invisible to me or if I was invisible to them. And just thinking about that makes me think because of the, this gulf that we've created in our society between people who offer help and people who receive help, I could have, I don't know if I did because I've slept enough time since then, I could have at least once thought, well, you could at least make eye contact after all you're getting here today because, you know, we want to be thanked for what we do for other people, don't we? And so we make this gulf between us and them. It's like, we want to be thanked. We want to be seen. We want to be recognized. But they're just kind of the unwashed, huddled masses. And if we're on the receiving side, it's like, can we please not do this eye contact and you feel good about helping me kind of thing? In fact, I just learned the other day, um, World Vision, the organization that pioneered us adopting needy children around the world and sending, you know, what, a dollar a day or $10 a month, I don't know what it is. They've just rolled out this program now that needy children in the other part of the world get to adopt us. So people that want to, to, to help out needy children send their picture and a bio, and then the people who need the help get to choose who they receive help from. So you and I don't get to feel good about ourselves just by having the picture of somebody we'll never have to actually face on our refrigerator and say, I give them money and I pray for them. Please keep giving money and keep praying for them. But it's not about us getting credit for that. I mean, I, I have this thing about me that I, I almost cannot walk past a piece of litter without picking it up. I even cringe sometimes if I drive by too much litter and if, if it happens to be um, uh, strategically placed like in the left turn lane, then I creep into the left turn lane, open my door and pick up the litter and, and go throw it away sometime and I have to pick up litter. And sometimes it's just because I hate that this stuff is strewn all over our country. Sometimes, I confess, it's because I want somebody to see me and then, you know, blow the horn and fly the streamers and, and bring out this, this like massive check for a thousand dollar reward for being some random person that picks up litter. Because I want to be seen. So we picked up the reading, the story that Carol read to you out of Luke 8 after this part, but I want to tell you this part because it really helps set the stage. So uh, the, the, the part we read that was read was this woman 
has had this bleeding problem for 12 years. Not only that, she spent all of her money on doctors and gotten no help. Insert healthcare attitudes here. Anyway, what we didn't read to you a little bit earlier in Luke 8, just before this, is that Jesus and his disciples just got out of a boat. They'd come across the lake, and they're, they're getting out. And there's these crowds all around them. They, the, this, the reading kind of hinted at it. They're, they're pushing so tightly in on Jesus. I mean, these people were pushing as tight on Jesus as Cincinnatians who want to go see the who. They were pushing as tight on Jesus. What, nobody remembers that? Thank you. They're pushing his tight on Jesus as people trying to get the last few tickets to Frozen 2 on its premiere. Okay, I got people that get that one. And we're introduced to this woman. And she believes that if she can just touch Jesus, she'll be healed. And of course, Jesus feels that somebody's touched him and says, Whoa, somebody touched me. And Luke says it's Peter, but I'm sure it's all 12 are like, yeah, Jesus, somebody touched you. But Luke says that, that Jesus said that somebody touched him and he felt the power go out of him. Here's the story behind that, because Luke doesn't really go into it. But Luke's earliest readers and the people who were there, the crowd probably caught this because the woman explained why she touched him. Did you notice? At, this, at, G, at the time in history when Jesus lived, all practicing Jewish men wore a prayer shawl, always never wore out in public, and their prayer shawls had uh, tassels around the end, on the ends of them. And there grew up this legend as God's people lived as God's people that the tassels on the prayer shawl of the Messiah would have healing powers. It's even alluded to in Malachi chapter 4, which is referenced in, in one of the greatest Christmas songs of all time, you know, um, O Come All Ye Faithful. There's this line that you might have wondered about as you sang it, risen with healing in his wings. That healing in his wings is straight out of Malachi chapter 4, and it's about this legend that people believe that the tassels on the edge of Jesus of the Messiah's prayer shawl had healing power. So this woman in, in this action is saying she believes that Jesus is the Messiah and if she can just touch the tassels on his prayer shawl, she believes she can be healed. And she was. But the point for us today, of course, is that in the midst of this, this incredible massive crowd where people are all pressing in because they all want to be around Jesus, there's only one, this woman, who, who brought her needs to Jesus and wanted to be truly seen by him for what it could do to meet her needs. In fact, Luke tells us that all this happens, and then when the woman saw that she couldn't escape notice because Jesus had noticed her, she came trembling and fell before Jesus. And in front of everyone, she explained to them why she touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And did you catch what Jesus said after this? He said, not in these words, but he said that he did not heal her. He said her faith had healed her and to go in peace.
So being there and bringing her need to the Messiah and having the Messiah simply recognize that is all that's necessary in her healing. She needed to be seen by Jesus, and she was seen by Jesus. But all of us who are following Jesus, or if we're trying to follow Jesus, if you have a a wording issue, we know what it's like to be seen by Jesus because we have been seen by Jesus. We have been seen, I mean, really seen in the depth of our being by the one who created us. Just like she had. And then it kind of makes you wonder, because there's this whole massive crowd of people there, if she's the only one that had a need to bring to Jesus, there might have been somebody else there that had had some need for 12 years, and here they are, Jesus is right there. Um, It's all right, I'm just watching. I'll just be part of the crowd. I won't stand out from the crowd. I won't be seen. And we know how this is because sometimes we don't want to be seen. We have this, uh, th- this great story, and I think it's probably true in every church I've pastored, but I can think of specific instances it's true here. We have people that find their way to our congregation literally at the bottom. Nowhere to go but up. And if it's a hole they were digging, they finally decided, maybe I should stop digging. And they come to church, and they're welcomed, and they're surrounded with, with love here. And a way to say that would be they're seen as somebody who is hungry for God and wants to know this love of God that we all talk about. And we wrap them with our arms, and we hug them, and we see them. And then we, for years, tell ourselves stories about how they came and they were seen and they became a part. That we had a part in helping them know that God sees them and loves them and wants them. On the other hand, those of us who are already here, we've been part of this for a long time. And we even make a big move in the direction of the wheels falling off or our life might be headed to that bottoming out point, or maybe our life has been heading to that bottoming out point, and we've just finally realized that we're doing the digging and it's time to stop, and we realize it, and we don't dare show ourselves in worship because of what somebody else might think or say. How can we be the kind of church that is welcoming to other people that need to know that God has seen them? And yet we aren't sure God wants us to see us. Or maybe we just don't want other people to see us. Well, if you're someone who is following Jesus or you're trying to follow Jesus and you know what it's like to be seen by the God who created you, then you also know that we are commanded to love our neighbors as ourselves. And I believe we can't do that without seeing our neighbors I don't believe you can love a neighbor that you refuse to see or that that you you look over or you overlook or you just see right through them because they don't fit the right category or whatever. And we've all got neighbors that we know well and we keep up with and we help and they help us. And then we also have neighbors that we don't know who they are in any way because they're just invisible to us. And the reason this message is on UMW Sunday is because the United Methodist women and all their predecessor organizations back 150 years have led the way among Methodism 
in helping us to see, requiring ourselves to see the people that we most easily look over and look past. Because we're called, we're commanded to see even the people who are invisible to us. So how do we do that? Well, we we start with here. I'm convinced this is one of maybe the best argument for why Christians need to be in corporate worship. So yes, um, if you know people who say, you've invited them to church, they say, can't I just be with God on the lake or on the golf course as much as I can in the sanctuary? I don't know why it's always fishermen and golfers, but you know, that's kind of how the story goes. Um, Yes, God is on the lake. God is at the golf course, I suppose. I've got some really good jokes about that, but now's not the time. But we need... We need to gather because we all need to be seen and because as followers of Jesus or people who are trying to follow Jesus, we need to make sure other people are seen. For this reason, um, before both services today, we, we prayed that everybody here would be seen. So even if you're somebody that wants to just barely be seen and then duck out, that's all right. But the rest of us are all here to make sure that everybody else is seen. And if, if you're listening and you're that one that wants to just come in and duck out, would you please make sure somebody else knows they're seen? And you don't have to get into a life history, but just make sure somebody knows that they're seen. Because th- this is kind of, this is our neighbor version of the Mennonite Central Committee's modest proposal. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but the modest proposal is this. Let all the Christians of the world agree that they will not kill each other. Let all the Christians of the world agree they will not kill each other. Now, you might be thinking, well, you know, there's a lot of people who aren't Christians. Believe me, the Mennonites totally agree with you. That's why this is a modest proposal of let's just start here. And this proposal is old enough that it came up in a time that Christians were killing each other in several famous wars around the world. So let all the Christians of the world agree to just stop killing each other. It'd be a good start. Just like it'd be a good start that everybody who is here for worship is seen by someone else. And yes, this is not enough. We cannot stop living like where people are following Jesus just when we leave this room. We cannot stop caring that there are people that we just, for whatever reason, just kind of look through and don't see because they're invisible just because we're not in worship. It is on us as followers of Jesus to see the invisible and to help them know that they've been seen. So how do you do that? You might wonder. I've got just a couple of ideas for you. Number one, each day, ask God to help you see the people that you most often or most easily overlook. Now, I don't know what category of people it is for you, but you do. So each day, just for this week, if you want to try it out, ask God to help you see the people that you most often or most easily overlook. And number two, with every person you see, every person you see, train yourself to think. It's just a little mind practice thing. This is a person that Jesus loves. Everyone you see, even if you have to work hard to see them, even if you didn't see them until you prayed and asked God to help you see people that you most easily look through or see as invisible, and now you see them, 
then think to yourself, this is a person Jesus loves. Now, to start that, I want to invite you all to practice. Okay, you don't have to say this out loud, but close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes and think of yourself and say to yourself, this is a person Jesus loves. Now open your eyes and be ready to say that in your mind or in your heart about everybody you see. Please pray with me. God, we're grateful that you see us. You see us for, for everything about who we really are and all we've really done. And in seeing us, you love us. And you want to make us whole and hold us close. God, help us be open to see those who we find hardest to see or easiest to overlook so that in our seeing them, they might believe when we say, you see them. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the podcast of Euless First United Methodist Church. If you like what you hear, let us know. And even more, tell a friend, share this podcast with someone who matters to you. Hope you have a great week, and may you follow Jesus a bit better today than you did yesterday.